Hello, welcome to I3Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and Board of View podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young. And Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these episodes are meant for medical education only, not to diagnose things on anyone's eyes. Each week, we take a high topic and talk about the why and the how. What are we talking about this week, Andrew? Today's episode is going to be about eligibility to let your cornea get donated. So these are the contraindication lists that are commonly tested and the things that uh, eye banks want to make sure are not going to be messing up donor corneas. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's interesting when I talk to patients that, you know, need a corneal transplant, you know, I think a lot of patients they assume that, you know, corneal transplant is like a like a kidney transplant or something where, you know, you have to wait years to get one, you have to make sure you're cross-matched right, you know, make a sign to ask someone to donate their cornea if they need it, but really it's a lot simpler than that. The, the cornea is a lot simpler than that because you don't need to cross-match it. Blood vessels are not supposed to go directly into the cornea. And the, you know, the immunologic response is a lot different. It, you know, and I think a lot of patients are surprised when I tell them like, oh yeah, we can get a cornea for you like sometimes the same night, Some, you know, usually the next day, you know, in emergency situations. But that doesn't mean just because it's so much easier to get corneal tissue doesn't mean that, that there are no reasons that a donor cannot give a cornea to someone else. So let's go through those reasons. Andrew, you want to just start, we can just start listing off the main reasons? Sure. Um, Just sort of for the folks listening, a way to organize this in your head. This is always an intimidating looking list because if you, you know, look it up on a question or something and they give you the list, it's, it looks huge. It looks long, but you can break them into chunks that make sense together. Like you can group them into subcategories. Let's start with the easiest subcategory of why you wouldn't allow a cornea to become a donor cornea. And that's because that's one of them is if you don't know how the person died. And uh, just a quick perspective, of course, the person has to have passed away first before you can take their cornea and give it to somebody else. Yes. Uh, please be kind. Don't try to take corneas from living people. Yeah. But if you don't know how they passed away, then that's full of, you know, people are going to side-eye that with a lot of suspicion. So that's easy. If you don't know how they passed away, can't that can't be a donor cornea. The, the next big category are infections. So I think the key thing to remember is this is not all infections, meaning that a patient can't get a corneal, can't give a corneal transplant. So the idea, just to make it clear, the idea is that you don't want to transmit the infection from, the, you know, a deceased donor to the living patient. So the categories you'd want to avoid are those where there's known seeding in the blood. So that's bacterial, fungal, endocarditis primarily. Additionally, things like HIV, even if the patient is high suspicion to have had HIV, like um, incarcerated patients or patients who have uh, are, are thought to be high risk because they have something that looks like a Kaposi sarcoma, things like that. You can't do HIV, hepatitis B or C, Ebola, Hopefully, we're not doing too many things with patients who have had Ebola, but Ebola is definitely contraindication. Same with rabies or congenital rubella. So those are some of the transmissible bloodborne infections we wouldn't want to transmit from one person to another. Also, if they have an active CNS infection, then there's that theoretical risk they could transmit to. So that's viral encephalitis or bacterial viral meningitis. What's another category, Andrew? Uh, another category are cancers, but you brought up the point earlier, Ben, like 
turns out someone with a solid tumor like pancreatic cancer, they can actually still donate corneas. So what kind of cancer is it that rules that out? It's blood-borne cancers, active leukemias, active blood-disseminated lymphomas. And then one specific thing that the list also goes out of its way to mention, metastatic malignant melanoma. Yeah. Now, there's also, this is kind of a more interesting category in that patients with central neurologic issues broadly, uh, I would just memorize that they can't give corneas. The reasoning, because this list is going to, I'll just tell you the list first. The list is kind of weird. It's things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, ALS, subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. You know, a lot of these kind of progressive or neurologic degenerations. You know, it may not seem, it certainly doesn't seem obvious to me why these patients wouldn't be able to donate. The reasoning is, one, if perhaps they were misdiagnosed with something that is transmissible, like, you know, a prion-related disease, or if some of these patients have may actually fundamentally have some type of prion-mediated disease that could be transmitted to other patients. Then we'll point out prion diseases have never been proven to be transmitted from a cornea to someone else. But that's the, the theoretical reason why patients with these you know, central neurologic diseases can't transplant. So that's just another kind of broad category to memorize. And uh, some of those longer neurologic diseases Ben mentioned that sound vaguely familiar from med school, those ones are actually associated with real CNS infections. So just as a med school refresher, subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, that's a no-go on the no-donor list. Uh, you can't donate list because it's associated with measles. Same for PML, progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. It's associated with a JC virus infection. Yeah. So that makes it, I guess, hopefully a little more easy to remember. Like, oh yeah, that's why. And then Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, you just don't want to miss, run the risk that they were misdiagnosed all along and turned out to actually be infectious. What about actual eye diseases? Which of them are reasons you can't give a corneal transplant? So let's go for the obvious one first. If the cornea itself that you're trying to donate is messed up in some way, then that's not going to fly. So that's if the cornea is horribly scarred or if it's, you know, a cornea that's actively or use, had a history of melting with terrible infection before, that's not going to work. Interestingly, uh, prior refractive surgery also is on this list. So if you've had like radial keratectotomy before, even LASIK, that disqualifies you from being a donor. Although there's a bit of a nuance there. As long as the endothelium is okay, then at least that uh, donor tissue can be used for endothelial transplants. But uh, for all the stromal stuff, if there's stromal disease or stromal problems or stromal changes, then it doesn't get to be a stromal donor. But that's not all there is. Um... There are specific other kinds of ocular problems that will also disqualify you as a donor. What are some of those, Ben? So one is any kind of intraocular inflammation or even the surface of the eye inflammation. We could list all the causes or types of like conjunctivitis, uveitis, post-uveitis, etc. So just you can't transplant those. 
And you can't transplant tumors that may be active within the eye. So think anterior segment malignant tumors or retinoblastoma. It's actually been shown that retinoblastoma can be transmitted from a donor cornea to someone else. So scary. Yeah, don't do it. Don't scary. let it happen. Don't let it happen. Just don't transplant someone with retinoblastoma. It's kind of one of the weirder like tidbits about corneal transplants, but uh, don't do it. And there's one more kind of random thing that we couldn't fit into any of these categories. What is that, Andrew? That's Reyes syndrome. And that's spelled R-E-Y-E, possessive S, Reyes. Yeah, congratulations to the listeners that remember what this is from med school. I yeah, we did not, did not. And like, oh God, do not. But I kind of think it's probably not something anybody thinks about nowadays because it seems like it was really like a disease that everybody freaked out about bef before the 1980s. And at the time, you know, it was this weird aspirin-associated disease that involved like multi-organ failure, including brain swelling. But nobody really knew what the cause was. And then it just stopped getting diagnosed as much past 1980s to the point where it's super rare now. And everybody kind of wonders maybe it was actually misdiagnosed metabolic disorders the entire time. That is hopefully just a way for you to remember what the heck that thing is. I can't imagine it would be on a test question, but then that sentence makes things end up on tests. So Yeah, of course. So basically, broadly speaking, the reasons to not get, I, you have to reject a transplant, are CNS or bloodborne infections. Bloodborne cancers or metastatic malignant melanoma, which is sort of a cancer born in the blood. Other central neurologic issues, ocular inflammation, a cornea that's not worth transplanting, i.e., something that has something that has a scar, or whatnot, or tumors in it in front of the eye. And then there's Reyes syndrome. <laughs> Andrew just has to be special. <laughs> what did, I think this is just interesting. What diseases have actually been proven can be transmitted from a transplanted cornea to someone else. Yeah, uh, we've talked about some of them already in the above list. For whatever reason, this ends up in its own table in the BCSC, so it could be testable. We're not sure. That's rabies. That's been proven somehow. Who knows how it would have proven. Hepatitis B and mad cow disease, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob uh, disease. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Apologies um, to Dr. Jakob and Kreisfeld if we're not. Sorry, sorry. So those are like the more infectious ones. And then, of course, infectious keratitis, infectious endophthalmitis, go figure. But then the one that seeds kind of in a malignant way is retinoblastoma. All these have somehow been proven. The poor recipient who got these things from a donor. Yeah. That, that actually happened apparently someday. Yeah, I mean, that's so sad, you know. Like, can you imagine getting rabies because you got a transplant? That's or so freaking mad cow. Or mad cow. Or, yeah. Goodness. This contrasts, of course, we tell you this list so we can tell you about the other list where it's never been proven that these actually happen. And this is kind of interesting. We just said mad cow was proven, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease, but the general concept of prion diseases is only listed as a potential infection transmissible thing. And what's the deal? I think it's because Kreutzfeldt-Jakob has only been hypothesized to be a prion disease. How does that parse to you, Ben? I just noticed that. What the f <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's literally what the BCSC says, guys. Um, well, we won't speculate more on that, I don't think, because I know precious little about the cause of mad cow disease. 
Okay. No, yeah, I think that's true. It's it's never been proven. It's just uh, I did not know that actually. I did not know it was hasn't been proven. That's quite I, interesting. Is and it is it proven? When we do our oh no, I mean oh Wikipedia says it hasn't been proven, and how could that be wrong? So Wait, does Wikipedia say it hasn't been? <laughs> yeah, it says it's, it's believed to be the mechanism, and this I don't think the distinction will be tested much upon. Let's hope so. Um, the other two potentials that have never been proven are HIV and HSVs, uh, herpes simplex. I think of all of that, the most interesting thing is like everybody worries about simplex being transmissible, but everybody has HSV too, right? So HSV doesn't disqualify somebody. It's not on the contraindication list, but I guess people worry about it. Okay. So we talked about the diseases um, that can cause problems. What are some of the actual characteristics of the uh, of the corneal transplant that we have to measure? Yeah. So other things, just thought, think about fundamental fundamental anatomic things of corneas: endothelial cell density. You need at least two thousand cells per square millimeter of endothelial cell density. Ben, can you remind me how many we start? Like what density we start off with? Yeah. I absolutely can. We start off with four thousand <laughs> endothelial like the, cells. Uh, the the delay to let the re- listener. Yeah, think that about was it. why I did that. So if we if we're born with four thousand, does that mean you know at this point I'm close to middle aged at this point? You are very. Old. I cannot. I cannot donate my cornea you're, anymore. You're incredibly. Close to it. You're incredibly old. No, no, no. We can't. Okay, so we start out with 4,000. By the time you're a young adult, it's 3,000. But then it's the rate slows down from there on. So by the time you're 60, then it's 2.5 thousand. And then, yeah, and then by the time you're the average age and you need cataract surgery, it's only like two and a quarter thousand, like 2.25 thousand. So the point being made here is that the rate of loss, thankfully, slows way down yeah. the older you get. After like kind of young adulthood, like it kind of drops a lot from birth down to young adulthood. But from then then on, it takes like a long time. So 2000 is like pretty easy to find, you know, like if someone is younger than average cataract age, then like they'll probably have like more than 2000. But, but yeah, if you don't meet that cell loss requirement, can you just, do you have to trash the entire donor? Or can you use parts of it for some other kind of procedure, Ben? Yeah, I mean, if you know, we're going to talk about more about the different types of corneal transplants in another episode. But you can use a stroma and and such if the endothelium is no good. Right. So if you're doing like an anterior lamellar keratoplasty, or uh, then yeah, whatever. Forget the endothelial cell density. You're not using it anyway. Okay. Something that's a little morbid to think about. But we have to think about is. When a patient, well, when a, when a donor has passed away, how long do you have to harvest the corneas? So the number to memorize is 12 to 18 hours. From That's a death to preservation time. Um, in some cases, you can go up to 24 hours, but the one I would memorize is 12 to 18 hours. So, you know, you got to get it in less than a day after the patient has, the donor has passed away. Some texts also refer to other metrics. The one we just mentioned is death to preservation. There's another one that's supposedly death to cooling, but honestly, I've, it's not in the BCSE. So let's just go by our Bible, right? Yeah. 
So, so that's the preservation, 12 to 18 hours. Yeah. So how do you store a corneal transplant? Like once you've harvested it, we said death to preservation. What does preservation mean? Yeah, what do you put it in to preserve it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, here, at least let's go by what we do in the States, uh, you stick it in some storage medium. And I didn't think this was the case, but uh, apparently you might need to know those storage mediums. So you did, Yeah, we'll, we'll highlight the most uh, common one and we can... Let's just highlight the most common one, honestly. Okay, yeah. Let's forget the other one. Let's do the one that mostly gets used in these eye banks. It's Optisol GS. And uh, <laughs> we try to avoid uh, pharma-specific products, but this is a Bosch & Lom product, I think. It's just standard, apparently. Yeah. Um, because it's got a pretty good uh, success rate. If you stick your donor cornea in Optisol, then it's good for up to 11 days. Yeah, You do have but, to chill it alongside keeping that right, right. storage medium, but yeah, it keeps the endothelial cells happy and keeps the whole thing alive. What's you talking about chilling it, Ben? Um, what's the temperature we usually want to keep it at? Yeah, I have no idea. Four degrees Celsius. Um, so it's chilled here in the States at four degrees Celsius, which, uh, whatever. So very cold. You keep saying in the Fahrenheit. States, what is the I other do. system? And the other system is in Europe, and I only mention it even though I don't think Europeans take the OCAPs or the written boards. The BCSC still talks about them. There, Europe uses this organ culture system where they actually keep the donor cornea at body temperature. Wow. Which sounds ridiculous. I don't know. Why would you do it? You do it, actually, because then you can keep it around for a lot longer. So Optisol, you can keep it up to f- up to 11 days, although most people want to use it before four days goes by, really. So really remember, four days, but 11 is a max. But in Europe, their organ culture system at body temperature can keep it lasting for 35 days. But they want to make sure that before they give you a 35-day-old donor cornea that's been cooking at body temperature... They got to culture it before you can use it to make sure there haven't been any germs growing in it. And then in terms of the age where that's an acceptable age for a donor, that's ages 2 to 70 years old. Um, Honestly, I think there is some variation in that. That's the one that I'd memorize is between 2 to 70 years old. You know, in theory, I think some iBanks accept over 70-year-old donors, like 75 or so. But, uh, you know, most won't accept a, one that's under two years old. And this by itself can be an OCAPS question. Uh, Andrew, why don't they accept donors from, uh, generally accept donors from patients under two? Donor grafts in general from a kid less than two years old, those corneas are really steep and much more flaccid than kind of older corneas. This makes it a little unpredictable to use for surgery as far as, you know, what are your outcomes going to be? I've heard anecdotally that they're also harder to just handle as the surgeon, although I'm not a cardiac surgeon, I don't know. But that's why you don't use stuff younger than two. Yeah. But like Ben said, maybe you can use donor tissue from folks older than 70. And in fact, the next thing and the last thing we'll talk about for this episode is the cornea donor study, our evidence-based contribution for the week, mm-hmm. which actually tested and said, look, okay, 
are donor corneas from younger donors good as good or better than you know donors from older patients? Right. So they split it up into two groups: basically patients sixty-five and older, and patients under sixty-four. Except for kids that were really like you know little. So yeah. uh, specifically, ten to sixty-four. Yeah. Just so you know, we're not contradicting what we just said about below two years old. What was the study trying to prove? Um, what was the outcome? It was the outcome variable was graft survival after full thickness penetrating keratoplasty. So how long did a graft stay good for before it failed? And the two independent variables were age of the donor. And what were the outcomes? So at five years out, there was no difference between the groups. And at that point, everyone was like, great, it doesn't really matter what the age is. But then when the 10-year data came out, it did skew a little ways. What did it say? Basically, if you got a, like a very young donor, there was slightly better graft survival. I think basically most people take it as, you know, there's not like a huge difference in survival between the groups, even at 10 years out. So... Right. It was only a very mild difference. Yeah, basically, if, if the donor is over or under 65, you know, don't take too much stock into that. Right. Eh, pretty much you can get it, use it, whatever you want, as long as it's not under two years old. And that's all we have for this week. If you enjoyed what you listened to, you can support us by the rating or review on iTunes or wherever you found us. Uh, we also have our website, eyesforears.com, with the number four. And uh, yeah, we hope we'll see you guys next week. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.